Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. All right, so I got about 35 minutes to talk about spirit-empowered healing, a topic that fills week-long conferences. Oh, I'm supposed to do something? The less I'm supposed to do, the better it's going to (laughs) be. You know, it fills whole books. There's no way I can cover that topic adequately in the time frame I'm allowed or in a way that will satisfy everybody that's here, everybody that's watching online, everybody that will be watching. So I sat with Jesus and I said, I can't cover it all. What would be helpful? And what I'm going to share today is what I believe he gave me to teach you. So if when I'm finished you don't think it's adequate or you don't think it's satisfactory, take it up with Jesus. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> so, now we got that out of the way. <clears throat> wow, pray for my, my voice. I want to start by sharing a healing story that's actually in process. As many of you know, there, we have been praying for Benjamin Hunt's best friend, Drew, who has a, a brain tumor. And a group of us gathered last Wednesday night to pray for him with his parents and his brother Tyler. And as I was praying Wednesday afternoon about going to that prayer meeting, I, asked, I just felt God laid on my heart that I should get some anointing oil and you know, anoint his forehead and say a prayer before we prayed for him. And I didn't have any. So I went to a Catholic supply store and I thought, surely they'll have anointing oil, uh, but they didn't. And the sweet nun that helped me, she gave me the number of their main supply store. She made me call them right there in front of her, and they didn't have it either. And so I thanked her for how sweet and how helpful. Uh, She started to tell me how I could get some. You know, if I had a Catholic friend, I said, oh, I need it tonight. You know, (laughs) that's what I do, last minute. Uh, We were going to pray for Drew, and, and I thanked her for her help, and I turned to leave. And I got about halfway to the door, and I hear her say, would you like something else that's been blessed? And I thought, holy cow, she knows I'm not Catholic, and she's offering me, I'm thinking, a book, a handkerchief, you know, what, what is she going to give me? And so I go back and say yes, and she wants to give me holy water. So I buy a little plastic bottle in the store, she disappears, she comes back with this holy water, And I wish you could have seen her face when she gave it to me. You know, I'm going, ah, what am I going to do with holy water? And she says to me, anoint his little forehead with this, and when you do it, pray the blessing in number six. And she goes, you do know the blessing in number six? Uh, Yes, I know the blessing in number six. So I'm walking out to the car thinking, Maybe I could pour out the, whole, the holy water and put in some uh, olive oil and you know, take that with me. And I get in the car and God goes, oh, no, you aren't. This is what I sent you here for. And that morning in my quiet time in Hebrews 12, I just read that admonition, be very careful to listen when God speaks to you. 
So I went to that prayer meeting armed with my bottle of holy water and my Bible marked at Numbers um, 6.24. And to say the meeting got off to a rough start is an understatement. At one point, um, Drew had stuffed himself under Timothy's chair, like one of these chairs, completely balled up under it, and his brother Tyler was running around the room screaming and banging on the door to get out. I'm going, I'm never going to get this holy water on this kid's head. (laughs) And then Karen did a beautiful job of giving some of the history of of, um, Drew's cancer treatments, which this is his third brain tumor, and explaining to Drew and his parents what the evening was going to look like. And by this point, miraculously, Drew had gotten out from under the chair and he'd gone and sat on the couch and he was actually listening to Karen. And so we decided we would share some healing stories to build faith, healing that we already knew that took place to build faith in his parents and in Drew that God was going to show up and heal. And when we had finished sharing them, and I thought we were finished, Benjamin spoke up. He had, been, he had a sore throat the night before. He had a big assembly he was actually part of, and he wanted to be present to pray for his friend Drew, but he had a sore throat. His dad prayed for him. During the night, he woke up several times. The first two times, he still had the sore throat. The second time, it was gone. And as Benjamin told this story of healing to his friend Drew, Benjamin started to cry. And that got Drew's attention. Drew said, why? Why why did Benjamin cry? And I said, he cried because when you feel God at work in you, it makes you feel so special and you're overwhelmed with love. And that got Drew's attention. I mean, we had him. From then on, he was up for whatever we were going to do. In fact, when we put the chair in the middle of the room and I said, Drew, would would you sit on the chair? He jumped off the couch and sat on that chair. And so then, after explaining a little bit to the adults who might think it weird that I had a bottle of holy water, I I said to Drew, what I want to do is just take a little bit of this water and put it on your forehead and I want to pray a blessing over you. Is that okay? And he said, Yes. And he was, I mean, we had turned him in his chair and he was looking right at me. And I'm telling you, when we prayed, the Spirit of God came. In fact, I think he was already feeling the Spirit before he even got in that chair. But we gathered around him. We asked if we could lay hands on him. And again, he wanted us to. This little kid that doesn't like to be touched. And he, as we prayed, It was obvious he was experiencing the presence of God. And so I checked in and I said, how are you doing? You know, anything going on? He said, I feel tingling in my whole body. And then we prayed some more. And what we know, like his hands were like this on the chair. He turned them over. I mean, this little boy turned his hands over as if he wanted more of what God was doing he didn't even realize he was doing it. Caleb said, you know, you're, you're turning your hands over because that's how we experience more of God. And then Caleb said to him, Drew, what do you want Jesus to do for you tonight? 
<laughs> and he, I mean, I saw him. He paid it. He thought about it. And he looked up and he said, I want Jesus to make the world a better place. That's what I did. And I said, you know, I smiled. I said, Ooh. I said, great. But what do you want Jesus to do for you tonight? You know, I was trying to get him to be selfish. And he actually paid attention. And he, I mean, he thought about it again. This is not cavalier. And in all sincerity, he said, I want Jesus to make the world a better place. And I thought, ooh, we got Solomon in our midst. <laughs> uh, and a little while later, he said that his right arm was tingling even more than the rest of his body. And he was due to get an MRI the next day. He's had many, many MRIs. And you have to get an IV to start them. And he hates the IVs. He will run away. He will literally jump out of the chair, run away, and try and hide. He will fight it. And his mom said to him, do you think, and he gets to choose. That's the big one thing he gets to do about these MRIs. He gets to choose which arm they put the IV in. And his mom said, do you think that means you're supposed to get the IV in your right arm tomorrow? And he said, yes. At another point, his legs went straight out and his body started to shake a little, and I'm, oh, God, go. It, it didn't last very long, but it was, it was dramatic. Uh, and I just kept checking in with him, what's going on? And he kept saying, the tingling is all over. And I said, we've been praying quite a while. I said, Do you, are you ready for us to stop? And he just looked up at me, and he said, no, not, not, no, if you want to pray, <laughs> pray some more. So we prayed some more. And again, Benjamin was so brave. He prayed out loud using his words that God would heal his friend. It really was an amazing night. You know, and what struck me as I kind of processed it and thought about it is this very hyperactive, very active little boy was so present so calm, so still, the whole time we prayed for him. And again, it, it, was a, it was over half hour. We prayed a long time for him. And even when we did stop praying, you know, I talked about how the, I think he thought the tingling was going to stop if we stopped. And so I told him, God keeps praying. He does, I mean, keeps working. He doesn't stop because we stop praying. So he did a, we did stop praying, but he didn't get out of the chair. He just sat there, and Caleb checked in, and he was still feeling the tingling, and now he had warmth through his whole body, and you could tell he was just at peace, and, and when he finally was ready to get up, I said to him, you know, I'm a hugger. Is it okay if I give you a hug? I said, I don't need to, and he just said yes, and he fell into my arms, and I just, he stayed in that hug so long that Karen was able to take a picture of it. And when he was done, he kind of wobbled over and collapsed. He just draped himself over his dad. And I wish I could tell you that Drew received a complete healing that night. He did not. The MRI showed the tumor was there, but that it hadn't grown. But I'll tell you what did happen. He, his mom said he loved having us pray for him, and that he was even enthusiastic about us laying our, you know, there's quite a few of us laying hands on his shoulders and on, on his head, 
And she said he did get the IV in his right arm the next day, and he didn't, he was amazing. He didn't fight it. He didn't cry. He didn't run away. She said it was the best IV experience he's ever had. And while we were disappointed that it hadn't disappeared or shrunk, his mom was seriously worried that it had been growing. Unknown to Drew, they had, his parents had been told some things that he, Drew could experience which would indicate the tumor was growing. And he had experienced those symptoms, so she was delighted that tumor had not grown. And now you all get to join in with us. It's, it's not over. God's not done. God's not done healing that little boy's heart or his, or his brain. And I'm inviting you to join us to pray for Drew so that we keep praying till the work's all done and his healing is complete. And so now I'm going to turn it around and put my teacher cap on and I want to help us understand some of the spiritual dynamics that take place during the healing process. These are dynamics I saw at play Wednesday night and always take place in a when a healing takes place. And I want to use this story of Jesus healing Bartimaeus, um, the blind man, in Mark 10. Ha ha. Okay, Mark 10, 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving, this is Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Sounds like Caleb, sometimes I get him confused. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed him on the way. In a minute, I'm going to come back to this story and look at it in the light of what Scripture reveals about how the Holy Spirit functions in Isaiah verse 2. I was first exposed to this teaching um, when I was at a seminar taught by Pastor Patty Vallada, who's my mentor in Emmanuel Prayer. And I'm sharing it with you today in the hope that it will help you understand and appreciate and work with the Holy Spirit the same way it impacted me the first time I heard it. So in Isaiah verse 2, Isaiah is revealing what will happen to the Messiah when he comes. And I want you to remember, kids, adults, everybody, we have the same Holy Spirit living in us that Jesus had come upon him. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. In the same way a prism refracts white light into its seven individual colors, the Isaiah, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is refracting the individual functions of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'd always wondered why in Revelation 4, verse 5, it says there are seven lamps burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I, I thought, seven spirits? There's only one Holy Spirit. Well, now I understood. John wasn't seeing seven Holy Spirits. He was seeing the seven individual functions of the one Holy Spirit. And this is, again, from Pastor Patty Vallada. But the menorah really helps us understand and see how these functions interact with each other. Um, the first one is the Spirit of the Lord. It is the middle column because it's the support system for all the other um, functions of the Holy Spirit. This is the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, it is through which all the other spirits operate. And when we have the Spirit of the Lord on us, wherever we go, we take the kingdom of God. It, the kingdom of God shows up through the presence of the Spirit of the Lord on us. The next six um, couplets, the next six functions, functions operate as couplets. They are the, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and finally, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. They always work together. First the one and the other one follows. Wisdom is heart knowledge. It's experiential in nature. What you believe in your heart, you believe because of your life experience. And Unfortunately, when we get to be adults, a lot of what we think is wisdom is actually godly wisdom. But because it came in through our life experiences, we believe it's true. And for me, I became a Christian when I was 30. And so I had a lot of things that I thought was wisdom that was not wisdom. It was, they were lies that the world had taught me. And what I did, you know, when I learned biblical truth, I kept trying to stuff that truth into my heart. It doesn't work that way. We get it wrong. We try to take a new thing that we think in our mind and force it into our heart where it would actually do us some good, and we just can't do it. The Holy Spirit gets it right. The Holy Spirit comes and gives us wisdom in our heart experientially, and then it flips into our minds as understanding. You know, the distance between your mind and your heart is like a million miles. The distance between your heart to your mind is negligible. And so I want to go back and look at the story of Bartimaeus and show you how the spirit of wisdom and understanding was already at work before Jesus even walked by. And they came to Jericho and as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard, he's blind, he couldn't see, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus calls Jesus Son of David. That is a messianic title. Obviously, the Holy Spirit, through the the Spirit of Wisdom, had already told Bartimaeus that Jesus was the Messiah. And because he knew Jesus was the Messiah, he understood what that meant. And he wouldn't shut up when the crowd rebuked him because he knew something they didn't. Only the Messiah could heal blind people at that point in history. In John 9, 6, we're told no one was ever healed of blindness in the Old Testament. It was a messianic miracle, and it was to be a sign that the Messiah had come. Through the spirit of wisdom, Bartimaeus knew Jesus was the Messiah, and then he automatically understood This was his one shot at getting healed. The Messiah was here, and he wasn't going to miss it, and he wasn't going to shut up about it. The way we know it's a messianic miracle is through Isaiah 35, verse 5. And this is also how Jesus answered John the Baptist when John was in jail and worried that maybe Jesus wasn't the Messiah. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. All right, so the spirit of wisdom and understanding was already present. Jesus recognized it, which brings us to the spirit of counsel and might. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he covered his sight and followed him on the way. There's so much going on in these verses. You know, I love that Jesus stopped. He heard Bartimaeus call him the Messiah. And so he stopped. We're not told, but what I believe is he, he was checking in with his father. He was looking to see what the father was up to, and then he was going to join in and do that. This is the spirit of counsel at work in Jesus' life. I already said this was a messianic miracle. No one had been healed of blindness in the Old Testament. In the Gospels, Jesus heals about six men of blindness. And I don't, you probably know, because you can tell the stories. He never did it, well, he rarely did it the same way. He did tell more than one person that your faith has made you well, like he did to Bartimaeus. But some, he touched their eyes. Some he spit on his eyes. I hope that he spit on his hand. <laughs> I hope he didn't, but it says he spit on his eyes. Uh, another time he spit on mud, turned it into clay, and put it on his eyes. He never, never did it the same way because he was always seeking his father's will. And through the, counsel, the spirit of counsel, once Jesus heard what he was supposed to do, 
when he obeyed, the spirit of might was right there to provide the healing. We can also see the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might of work in Bartimaeus. He was blind. He didn't know Jesus stopped. But when those men said, get up, take heart, he's calling you, that was the spirit of God. Get up. And he obeyed immediately. In fact, he sprang up, which again reminded me of Drew jumping off that couch. There was faith there. And he threw off his cloak. And that cloak was how he earned his living as a beggar. Beggars would spread their cloaks out around them, and then people would put their money on it. By him casting that off, it was proof that he didn't need that anymore. In his mind, his life was about to change forever. And Jesus recognized that was an act of faith. You know, where he saw that faith in Bartimaeus. So when, when Bartimaeus comes to him, Jesus knows the faith is there. So he just says, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says what he wants. Spirit of might comes and he's healed. Which brings us to the final couplet the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I'm going to take a little break because my mouth is very dry. Yeah, I've already heard how, how well Bill McKay does this drinking thing. I always feel like I'm bothering you guys. All right, this, the final couplet, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The Hebrew word translated as knowledge in this verse is yada. It's the root word is yada. And that is an intimate knowing, an experiential knowing, the same way Adam knew Eve. And once Bartimaeus' eyes were opened and he saw Jesus for who he was, he worshipped him. That's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Jesus told him to go on his way. He didn't do that. As soon as he saw Jesus for who he was, he abandoned his way, and he, all he wanted was to go on Jesus' way. Um, Luke adds in chapter 18 when he tells this same story that as Bartimaeus followed Jesus, <clears throat> he was glorifying God. And he also adds that everyone who saw this messianic miracle praised and glorified God. And that's the spirit of knowledge. They saw Jesus for who he was, the Messiah, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's when you recognize God's glory, his majesty, his power, and you respond in utter humility. Sometimes people respond in worship, like Bartimaeus did, like the people who saw that messianic miracle. Other times people respond in that terror you know it's it's a reverential fear and awe but the terror that they know they're sinners they know they're completely other from god and so you you pull away and kind of say get away from me you're so you know you're so different than i am uh, peter responds this way in luke 5 but what i love and what i want you to watch for is Jesus doesn't leave him there. So when he, Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. 
That's Jesus and the spirit of counsel. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. That's obedience to the spirit of counsel. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. That's the spirit of might. It's the spirit of counsel, obedience, the spirit of might. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, the spirit of knowledge. He saw Jesus for who he was, and he knew he wasn't that. Saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord, the spirit of fear, the Lord. For, all, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had, which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. But Jesus didn't leave them in that fear, in that place of abject fear. He moved them to awe. Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him in, in humility, in worship, in worshiping Jesus with their whole lives. So in closing, I just want to spend a few minutes speaking about our expectation that God is actually going to bring healing in response to our prayers for it. <clears throat> and I have to start with a confession. I mean, I love being part of a vineyard church. I, I agree wholeheartedly with our kingdom and theology you know, that the kingdom of God is already because Jesus won the victory at the cross, and also not yet, because Jesus has not yet come back to set up his physical kingdom on earth. So far, so good. But I've been forced uh, to come to face-to-face -face as I prepared for this teaching, and particularly, you know, last week as, as I was thinking about going and praying for Drew and all that that would entail and the hopes that that would raise, I was forced to face the truth that I am way too at home in the not yet. In fact, it's really, honestly, I'm always surprised when healing takes place, and my expectation is that it wouldn't. Even though I've seen hearts, well, I didn't see it, I've known hearts to grow in response to prayer, I've known Thomas's chin to grow when the kids gathered and prayed for him. Thomas's stomach was miraculously healed in response to God's prayer. But that's not my default. My default is I'm going to pray. You know, I'll be good. I'll pray. But in my heart of hearts, I didn't really expect healing to happen. And so I, I knew I can't, you know, this is too long a distance. <laughs> what I believed in my head was never going to trump the reality of what I felt was true in my heart. And so I just sat before God and said, ah, we're going to pray for Drew. You know, I, I want to walk in there expecting the already. But I knew I had to wait. I had to wait for God to move. 
I needed his spirit of wisdom and understanding. I couldn't make it work the other way around. And so I just, I left it there and I trusted him. He knew my deadline, Wednesday night. I gotta, I gotta get this, you gotta pull this in, God, before Wednesday night. And he began the process through something I read on Instagram, of all places. And it's a quote from Bill Johnson, who is the pastor of Bethel Church in Redding, California. And I'm telling you, it brought me to tears. I mean, I stopped. It was, it was one of those God moments. And he said, it is inconsistent to have Jesus pay a price for healing and for us to believe it is not God's intention to heal. And, I mean, I've even had some discussions with my daughter who, who believes this. <laughs> I'm going, oh, I don't know. Well, so I was struck to the core, and I'm a good Bible student, so I said, all right, I'm going back. I'm going back to the source. I went back to Isaiah 53, verse 5, and I wanted to find out what, it, what is true. What is God saying to us through this verse? But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So I got out my concordance, and I looked up the original meaning of these words. The Hebrew word translated as stripes means scourging. It is an inhuman and cruel punishment. And so I went back, and I looked. I mean, I knew Jesus was scourged, but I wanted to go look and see what the Gospels had to say about it. And I was shocked to find out there's only one sentence dedicated to Jesus' scourging in Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke doesn't even mention it. But Scripture just says, Pilate had Jesus scourged, period. And I thought, oh my goodness, something this important, and we almost missed it. But I am so grateful the Holy Spirit had those guys put that sentence in there so that we would know Jesus has paid the price. He has secured our healing. And you go, all right, what healing? Well, the word translated as healing in the original Hebrew means complete healing. Well, you say, oh, yeah, what, emotional healing, spiritual healing? No, physical healing the original Jewish readers would have known that Isaiah was referring to physical healing because that word can also be translated as physician. And, I mean, that did it for me. Jesus is our great physician. He paid an excruciating price to win it for us, to secure the foundation of physical healing. Yes, spiritual, it's all the rest of it. The transgressions, the iniquities, the chastisement. He, he wins. He earns our forgiveness of our sins, the freedom from the guilt, the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit, and 
the foundation for our physical healing. And I'm telling you, when I walked into that room Wednesday night, my expectations were solidly in the already. I knew the Spirit of the Lord was on me. I knew I was bringing the kingdom of God into that room. I even told Karen, I'm I'm sure he's going to be healed. I was armed with the, the Spirit of the counsel of the Lord. I had a bottle of holy water, and I had my Bible opened at number 624, and I'm telling you, a vineyard woman, what's the word, anointed a little Jewish boy's head and blessed it with water blessed by a Catholic priest. We had our bases covered. And when I obeyed, I knew the spirit of might would show up. I knew it. And he did. And I saw the fear of the Lord. I saw it in Benjamin when he cried, relating how his daddy had prayed for him. And then during the night, the healing came. That was the fear of the Lord that Benjamin was responding to in worship and humility. And I saw the fear in the Lord of that little hyperactive Drew who doesn't like to be touched who just sat in that chair basking in the wonder and the presence that God loved him and was doing something in him. You know, in John 1, 3, 8, we are told that Jesus came to the earth to destroy the works of Satan. That was his mission statement then. It is his mission statement today, only now you and I are the ones that do it for him. That's our calling, to undo the works of Satan and to take advantage of everything Jesus died to provide for us. And so if the worship team wants to come up, even if you don't, come up. This is the invitation. I want you to sit with this verse, Isaiah 53:5 this this week. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I'm telling you, Drew was filled with so much peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. I want you to be as brave as Bartimaeus and sit with this verse in the presence of Jesus and tell him, what you want him to do for you, because he'll listen.